0: At Holy Trinity, um, our scripture readings use the English Standard Version. And if we had the King James Version today, you might have been a bit surprised by Peter's description of the church. Here's how the KJV translates verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. So I'm here to tell you, Holy Trinity Church, you are a peculiar people. And if this was a Tonight Show, you'd probably be shouting back at me, how peculiar are we? And that's exactly the question that First Peter answers for us today. I mean, what, what Peter does is to take the description of Israel in several Old Testament passages, and apply them to the New Testament church. Not because the church replaces Israel, but because the church continues to unpack God's original covenant with Israel. I love how the old J.B. Phillips translation put it. All the old titles of God's people now belong to you. It is for you now to demonstrate the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his amazing light. So let's look then, at how Peter applies this description of Israel to the new Israel, the church. In In verses 4 to 8 of this passage that was read from 1 Peter, he's likening the church to a spiritual house, to what Israel knew as the temple. We are the living stones that are being built up into God's temple, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. I mean, this is an image uh, of the church that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where he addresses the divisions that are occurring in the Corinthian church. And because our English language doesn't differentiate singular and plural use, we sometimes miss what he's getting at. So we need a Southern dialect that'll help us on this one. Paul is saying this, don't all y'all know that all y'all are one temple, of the Holy Spirit. And if anyone destroys that one temple, God will destroy that person. You see, this temple is the Holy Spirit United Church that Jordan has highlighted the past two weeks. It's a single temple that is to shine as God's option to a fractured world. And then Peter goes to Isaiah's description of Israel in Isaiah 43, and he applies it to the church. In this Old Testament passage, God speaks to the prophet of my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. And so Peter says, We, peculiar people, are a chosen race. In fact, he repeats the word chosen three times in this passage and adds the word honor in verse seven. But before we get a big hit, we need to realize that being loved and chosen and honored by God is a very dangerous thing. Because we're chosen not to claim privileges, we are chosen in order to serve. I mean, that's why Tevya in Fitter on the Roof asked God, I know we are the chosen people, but once in a while, couldn't you choose someone else? I mean, it's not fun to be chosen sometimes as God's people, and it's precisely he has chosen that Peter says in chapter 1 that we are to love one another with a pure heart. And he explains at the beginning of chapter 2 that, that that means that we peculiar people, we're to put off all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And that's what it means to be peculiar in a world that does practice malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then Peter calls up an image from God's Word to Moses in Exodus chapter 19. And refers to which refers to Israel as a holy nation. Church, we are a transnational nation. When Trevecca and I have gone to Sudan or Uganda or Kenya or Tanzania or Honduras, we have found ourselves with others in the one nation that exists within all of those nations. And that's what I love about the second verse of the hymn that that I'm so grateful to Travis for having played today. And he did it so beautifully. Him, hymn, by the way, that was written by an Anglican. Stick that in there. But did you hear that, um, that verse? Elect from every nation, elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses. She partakes one holy food and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. I mean, no matter where you go in the world, the church does not belong to any nation, nor is the church to be identified with any nation. The church is a Eucharistic kingdom that seeks to enlarge its borders to embrace all the peoples of the world. In fact, we here do a disservice when we refer to the US as God's people. Come on, Peter is adamant the church is a holy nation, he says, a people for God's own possession. By baptism, our identity is first as members of the one body of Jesus Christ before our identity has to do with a nation, an ethnic group, a race, or any other marker. We belong to God before and above anything else. And then in verse 10, Peter amplifies this idea of a transnational nation by by applying God's message through the prophet Hosea, who in judgment told Israel that once you were not my people, but now you are one people, God's people. And so now the church, composed of Jews and Gentiles, as Peter writes, once were not a people, They were separated into tribes and clans and nations and races. Now they are one people. We are one people. Again, I love how Phillips renders this in his translation. In the past, you were not a people at all. You had no experience of his mercy, but now it is intimately yours. And then Peter continues, in verses 11 and 12, and he tells us that we, the church, are sojourners and exiles. We are resident aliens. You see, just as it was the case for Peter's readers who lived in a pretty hostile Asia minor, hostile toward the church, and just as it was for Israel who lived in exile for, for a long time, so it is for the church today. We live in a society that pressures the church to return to the, you know, the normal web of socioeconomic and cultural ways of life that have characterized our society. I mean come on, we should look peculiar as we live out an alien lifestyle in our neighborhoods, in our cities, but we're still precious and holy and royal in the sight of God. Now being alien sojourners in this world, having our citizenship in the heavenly city, doesn't refer to an escapist mentality. That's not the point. I mean, I've seen that bumper sticker that some Christians put on their cars, not of this world. But they leave the rest of the verse out. Not of this world, but in the world. You see, we're aliens, but we're also residents. When Jesus stood before Pilate and said, my kingdom is not of this world, he didn't mean that he and his followers were looking to escape this world. What he meant was clarified when he continued with Pilate and said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. In other words, God's kingdom has everything to do with the world he created, but it will not be established by worldly means. And when Jesus prays for his followers in John 17, he asks the Father not to take us out of this world. Though we are not of the world, we're not of the evil one. And so Peter reminds his readers not to engage in behavior that's going to ruin their reputation among non-Christian neighbors, especially behavior that is destructive to human existence. The church's identity is as immigrants in a pagan world. But the church is not to pout, it's not to plead victimization or weaponize its grievances. As as he says in verse 12, the church is to live honorably. So that, he says, when the pagans speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And that brings us to perhaps Peter's most profound description of the church. We are a holy and royal priesthood. I mean, this theme actually runs from Genesis to Revelation. We don't have time to go into all the details. But it's enough to point out that our role as priests goes way back to Genesis 2, where God commissions Adam and Eve to work in and take care of the cosmos as God's sacred space. They were to care for, they were to preserve God's sacred space, all that God had created by upholding the creation, by preserving the order that God had established by contesting anything that would compromise or corrupt the sanctity of this sacred space that God had made. You see, they were to be God's co-regents, a royal task for a royal priesthood, who will also serve, also serve as mediators to make the benefits of this sacred space available to all. And then as the story progressed in the Old Testament, the priesthood became individualized. I mean, we even see that in the way, beautiful way that Max read Psalm 99. That psalm refers to Moses and Aaron and Samuel, as it should. And then, you know, in the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther individualized that he reminded us of the priesthood of all believers, as he should, by which he meant not that each of us is our personal priest to God, but that each of us is a priest to each other, speaking God's word and hearing confessions all day long. And as Augustine put it, in ancient times, only one high priest was anointed, but now all Christians are anointed, and we are. But the point is is that here in 1 Peter priesthood is not individualized. The church itself is the priesthood. And that seems to be what God intended all along. Adam was assigned priesthood as a representative of the human race. Israel was declared a kingdom of priests when God established God's covenant with Israel in Exodus 19. The text that Peter's using here as the kingdom of priests she is given the charge To make God known and to ensure that the presence of God is not restricted but fills the whole earth. And as John writes to the seven churches in Revelation, he addresses them as those whom Jesus Christ made a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. It's a biblical theme all the way through. And here we are as church. So, what's the point? What is so peculiar about the church as a royal and holy priesthood? There are clues right in our text. I mean, first, as a holy priesthood, the church is to proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The word excellences here is is kind of a bit strange. So think of it as as God's goodness or God's good deeds. We as church, especially in this time of a pandemic, in this time of political division, in this time of racial injustice, we are to engage in good deeds that glorify God's goodness, living lives that are good among neighbors, regardless of status or condition or race or religion, not good in the way that the nation or the culture defines good, but good as defined by the teachings of Jesus, Something Jordan will focus on when he begins his series on the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, when we define good in terms of Jesus's teachings, we'll find out just how alien we the church are who reside in this culture. And to use the complementary image that Peter's using here, we as spirit-filled church, as priests, are the true temple of God's presence in the world, a temple that should be increasing. In size with new living stones, as we witness to the liberating and life saving work of the God revealed in the Exodus and in the crucified and risen Christ. You see, this witness isn't just proclamation with words, it's proclamation with visible embodied action so that the world is attracted to God by seeing redeemed people living in community and envisioning that they too could live lives like that. I mean, Paul says in Romans 8, the church is the first fruits of God's redemption of the entire cosmos. And so we need to find ways as a holy priesthood to live as God's goodness in our neighborhoods, even in and perhaps especially in the context of a, pandem- a pandemic and social injustice. Let me, let me just get down to earth specific here. One example As a disciple of Jesus, watching people on the news who refuse to wear masks, because they demand their rights. What we are considering today as a holy priesthood is a community not concerned about rights, but one that is asking instead what our responsibility is in proclaiming the excellences or goodness of God in the sacred space that is God's creation. In fact, look, take some time this afternoon to read the rest of 1 Peter, and you'll find that that is exactly what Peter's getting at. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. But second, look at priests are also to serve as mediators between the world and God. We'll do, we, you know, we do that in our prayers, right? Every Sunday, we are mediators between the world and god bringing our concern for others before god those that have been afflicted by the pandemic those that have been afflicted by social injustice we bring these human needs before the throne of god as priesthood we remember the world to god offering the world to god in the hope that god will transform it this is the world god created and is in the process of redeeming and reclaiming until one day it has an extreme makeover and even in our liturgy we're able to see the world redeemed to imagine it as it already is in the eyes of God. That's one reason why we can't wait until we can all end our Eucharistic fast and share communion together. Because the Eucharist isn't just a remembering us to the past, it's, it's anticipating the heavenly banquet that unlike the liturgies of the nations, celebrates no boundaries, no violence, no divisions. We as a holy priesthood are supposed to be living out that coming reality right now, as a preview of a coming attraction, bringing the future into the present as a revolutionary force, helping others to know the future that God is going to bring to pass as we live out those future kingdom realities now as church. And by the way, as mediators, we also are the human creatures who give voice to creation in the praise of God. And so as the priesthood, we sing. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Thou burning sun with golden gleam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh praise him, let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Is he as the church, the church that is a holy priesthood, given that commission as early as Genesis 2 in the creation story, we not only give voice to creation in the praise of God, we also steward the earth as God's sacred space. And then there's a final responsibility of the priesthood as Peter puts it in verse five, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This takes on deep meaning brothers and sisters when we consider it in the light of what is called Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17, part of our gospel reading. And when we recall how Hebrews speaks of Jesus as our high priest, and Paul even put it sharply in Romans 12:1. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. Sure, as someone said, the trouble with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> That's why this aspect of being the holy priesthood is tough. No mistake about it. It required that our high priest, Jesus Christ, give his own life as the sacrifice for us even at the hands of a lynch mob, orchestrated by the government. And Jesus's prayer in John 17, is asking the Father to make it possible for us to be sent into the world as the Father sent the Son into the world. As God's holy priesthood, we the church are called to surrender ourselves to God in sacrificial service to God and to others. Just as we are directed to do when the liturgy ends, we're sent into the world to love and serve God and others. So the question is this. As the holy priesthood that takes its cues from its high priest, are we ready as church to offer ourselves in sacrificial living for others, even for those who reject us? I'm impressed by Paul's words as he wrote from a jail cell to the church at Philippi. He had described his mission in Romans uh, earlier as, as one in the priestly service of the gospel of God, offering up to God the Gentiles whom he had evangelized. But later, writing from that prison cell to the Philippian church, he wrote, even if I am to be poured out as a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. The priest was rejoicing to be poured out as a sacrifice in service to God. What would it mean for us as a, royal, as a holy priesthood? Especially in this time, when, when we are church out of the building where we belong 24-7 in our neighborhoods, to be God's representatives, declaring in word and deed God's goodness and the night and day difference that God makes in people's lives, bringing them as an offering to God, pouring out our lives in sacrificial service. We do it to paraphrase the hymn that Travis sung, mid toil and tribulation, to with a vision glorious, our longing eyes are blessed. And the church that is finally victorious because it has been God's instrument to expand the sacred space of God's presence, the church will finally be the church at rest. May all of this become the reality of Holy Trinity Church as a holy priesthood in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.